Halfway through its eighth and final episode, I found myself asking why was I watching Netflix's The Defenders? The superhero team-up that was a culmination of 65 episodes across four different Netflix original shows should have been an event like The Avengers, but instead it was just a mess. But the fear of missing out on some plot detail that would have a ripple effect on future seasons of these shows for the massive cast of characters, or God forbid the nearly 20 films, was too much to ignore. It was enough to make me push to the end. Disney knows that they have a winning formula with Marvel, create a shared universe for all their films and television that rewards fans who stay up to date, and might even punish those that don't. But like their loyal fans, Disney suffers from the same obsessive need for completion, and they have opened the checkbook to complete their collection. What does Disney's recent acquisition mean for the always-growing Marvel Cinematic Universe? And at what lengths did Marvel go to make this all possible? And how will Disney's obsession with continuity affect their relationship with Netflix as they go head-to-head with the streaming giant? In December 2017, Disney forked over $52 billion to acquire 21st Century Fox's film and television studios. Some experts believe this move was an effort to build the Disney catalog for a rumored streaming service that will be in direct competition to Netflix. Makes sense. In the deal, Disney now has the rights to The Simpsons, The X-Files, How I Met Your Mother, The Aliens franchise, and the rebooted Planet of the Apes, and that's just to name a few. But there's only one thing that matters to the hordes of comic book geeks. In the deal, Marvel now has the rights to X-Men, Fantastic Four, and Deadpool. Presumably, all these characters will be folded into the Marvel Cinematic Universe, or MCU. That is, of course, the umbrella term for all the movies and television shows that exist in the same world as the Avengers films. Whether they reboot these franchises for what seems like the thousandth time or come up with a clever way to bring the existing cast into the fold, there's no doubt that Disney will make the most of its chance to finally have all the Marvel characters in-house. You might be wondering why Disney cares about owning intellectual property like Fantastic Four. The most recent release in 2015 was a complete flop earning less than half of its $120 million budget in the U.S. and barely breaking even on the worldwide total. But Disney obviously sees something that Fox didn't. Or rather, Disney has the influence it needs to set up any movie for success. But if you dig a little deeper, you'll find that Disney has the influence it needs to set up any movie for failure as well. Grab your tinfoil hats. This one's a doozy. The conspiracy? Disney leveraged their relationship with Marvel Comics to weaken the Fantastic Four brand in an attempt to eventually wrestle the franchise back from Fox. It's actually not that far-fetched. Movie rights are not public knowledge, but the Fantastic Four have a pretty well-documented history. For those of you unfamiliar with the characters, the Fantastic Four are a family of, you guessed it, four superheroes, each with a different power after being exposed to cosmic rays on a space station. The team is also often referred to as Marvel's first family. That's because they were the very first Marvel comic superheroes created in 1961. Not Spider-Man, not Wolverine, and definitely not Iron Man. Fantastic Four started it all. In the 70s and 80s, Marvel was making a push to sell the rights to their characters to Hollywood. Fantastic Four was reportedly acquired by Constantin Film in 1986 for an estimated $250,000. Chump change. But they sat on it, as long as they could. Apparently, the rights would revert back to Marvel if not used by 1992, seven years after they were purchased. In a crazy sequence of events covered in the documentary, 
Doomed, the untold story of Roger Corman's The Fantastic Four, a film was made but never released. Regardless, the rights were retained. Then 1999 rolled around. Time was up for Constantine. The studio teamed up with Fox, and with Fox's strong relationship with Marvel built on the X-Men movies that were coming out at that time, they were granted an extension that eventually resulted in 2005's Fantastic Four. That's the one starring Jessica Alba and, oddly enough, Chris Evans, the now Captain America. That one was directed by Tim Story. And in a world before the Marvel Extended Universe, the movie was a mild success, enough to warrant a 2007 sequel. But then Iron Man happened, and everything changed. But the seven-year limit to make a movie or lose the rights still applied, and that's why we got 2015's Fantastic Four. Fox was making the movie because they had to, and Marvel had seen enough. Marvel Comics ended the Fantastic Four comic book series in April of 2015 with issue number 645, four months before the release of the film. The typical Marvel playbook uses the comics as a promotional tool for the movie, ramping up the visibility of characters in preparation for the film. For example, in April of 2016, Marvel launched a long, dormant comic to promote a film. After more than four years, the series Black Panther returned to shells. That same month, the character made his cinematic debut in Captain America Civil War. That movie was an enormous success, and set the table nicely for Black Panther's solo film, which has broken numerous box office records, including becoming the highest grossing comic book hero movie of all time in North America, dethroning the Avengers. Jonathan Hickman, the most recent author of the Fantastic Four comics, sat down with the site Newsarama shortly after the book was cancelled. He was asked what it would take to bring Fantastic Four back to shelves. He had one answer, quote, Disney probably needs to buy Fox. So why wouldn't they do the same for Fantastic Four? Sure, Marvel is in the business of selling comics, but they're not in the business of promoting someone else's film. They need to send a message. If they can't have Fantastic Four, no one can. Disney's cutthroat approach might be just what they need as they take on their next cultural giant, Netflix. As I previously mentioned, Disney is throwing their hat in the ring by launching their own streaming service in fall of 2019. In addition to their large portfolio, the plan is to launch with original content that includes a Star Wars series, a live-action Marvel show, an animated series based on Monsters, Inc., and a high school musical television show. But what about the existing content on other streaming services? In August of 2017, Disney announced they would exercise an option in their 2012 contract with Netflix to pull its content from the platform. By 2019, all Disney properties will be off the streaming service. When announced, this included Star Wars, Pixar, the Marvel movies, and any live-action Disney adaptations like the recent Jungle Book. Since then, the Fox acquisition has added a ton of more titles to the chopping block. This news had an immediate effect on Netflix. Market shares dropped nearly 4% the following day. Experts believe the drop was a reaction to the growing fear that Disney is just the first of many to launch their own platform while ripping the content away from existing platforms. Sprinkled in among all the news was one curious tidbit. The Netflix-produced Marvel shows will remain on the service. This includes Daredevil, Jessica Jones, Luke Cage, Punisher, and Iron Fist, all which exist in the Marvel Cinematic Universe. Some expect it has to do with the Disney service not carrying rated R content, but the rest of Disney's adult content is finding a home on Hulu, the existing streaming service that Disney already partially owns. 
so why not bring these successful Marvel shows over there? The Hollywood Reporter spoke with Netflix content chief Ted Sarandos to ask about the state of these series. He commended Marvel for creating, quote, killer brands, but made sure to point out Disney does not control all the Marvel IP. Quote, it's not that exclusive. Netflix has the Defenders. End quote. It makes sense. Netflix produced these shows. Whereas they only had the rights to offer Star Wars to their subscribers, their grasp on these Netflix original shows likely runs much deeper. Knowing the lengths Disney and Marvel took to get Fantastic Four and X-Men back, I find it hard to believe that this is the last we will hear of this power struggle. Marvel has always leaned on its extended universe. Thor 3 was not just the third Thor movie, it was the 17th movie in one long connected soap opera. Fans feel compelled to see all these films based off the fear of missing out on a sense of completion. Disney suffers from the same obsession as their fans. They want that sense of completion, no matter the cost. If they sullied the brand of Marvel's first family in order to get their intellectual property back, what do you think they're going to do with Iron Fist? I'm joined now by my brother, David Stanyush. Uh, me and David have some podcasting experience together. We did a Buffalo Bills banter podcast, mm-hmm. which covered the Buffalo Bills season a couple of years ago. And yeah. uh, the reason I brought David onto this one is he has some experience in comic book podcasting. He was the essentially the producer and host of mm-hmm. the Comic Dash podcast for yeah. the We The Nerdy, which is a website that covers pop culture of all kinds. And uh, you've been to Comic-Con a couple of times. We went went to New York Comic-Con. Yeah, we went to New York Comic-Con twice. We went in 12 and 13. And then you won again. Or no, it was tw- I, we went in 12 and then I went in four, uh, 14. And that time you were kind of like press. You had a little bit yeah, of a... Yeah, I, I had a press pass, yeah. So I didn't have to pay admission or anything. Disney acquires Fox. We know the implications for the Marvel Universe. What non-Marvel property do you think is the biggest one that Disney acquired? Mm-hmm. Well, I, uh, Planet of the Apes could be argued, I guess, at the moment for movies. That they, like, stuff like The Simpsons, that's pretty big as well. It's like one, the longest standing uh, episodic like uh, sitcom, I believe. Um, but like, I think the Disney, I think the like the the the, uh, the Marvel properties are probably their biggest. I mean, can you just not see them doing something with The Simpsons? Like, um, like there was a Simpsons movie; it was pretty successful. Um, Disney definitely is extending themselves onto TV, but. Um, is it the same way that they're turning movie properties into TV with their, you know, planned Star Wars series for their streaming service? Uh, I can also see them turning some of these TV series they got into movies going that direction. Mm-hmm. Do you see, see a Disney Simpsons movie in the cards one day? Yeah, I, I think so. Uh, that actually would be a good idea, I guess, because like, I don't know, like they, they do everything better is, is what the what the general uh, prevailing thought is. Yeah, I, I have to agree. And uh, we talked about you think that the marvel properties are the biggest well 100 like, percent. yeah yeah i mean x-men has a pretty like of these movies outside of the marvel universe i would say x-men's been the most successful mm-hmm. um they've been pumping a lot out some are hits some are misses um the most recent one logan was i think a critical and box office success yeah that also kind of wrapped up that character um without going too much into it with the x-men movies where they stand now how would you bring them into the extended universe do you need a reboot or is there a way to bring this cast in i think i don't know like i guess like 
the person in like my type of fan, I prefer them just to reboot, have their own. But honestly, they could just do something where it's like a parallel universe that merges or something like that with like Doctor Strange, and then they can they could have the the cast recognition right off the bat of like most of their cast, like with with whatever, even if it's the old cast or the new cast for Professor X and stuff like that. So like, I think actually that would make that's probably what they would probably do if they were to do it. I totally see that happening like yeah. they're not afraid to make fun of the like the continuity for the x-men movies is very confusing something like yeah. that maybe like sounds confusing but it might be like still a clean slate without having to wipe out a cast which has some gems like you can bring yeah. in the people that you want on that note with the x-men movies what about the way that some of the characters you know, if a character has died here or there, you think that can be solved by the parallel universe? It's not out of the comic book realm. No, they've done it multiple times in the X Men world. They didn't really, really. Did they ever explain how Charles Charles sort of came back? Not really. Exactly. And I mean, Deadpool even makes fun of the continuity exactly. in the movie, which is a very meta thing, which Deadpool does. He he laughs uh, in some comment to Colossus about how yeah. confusing it is to follow. And, uh, and basically, um, what is it? Basically, X- Days of Future's Past was just like to erase the previous three X Men movies, the, f- the first three X Men movies. So they've already continuity. they've already done this before. They've That's already such. yeah. Well, not not erase, just like make everything. This is how the timeline is now. Like this is like it all makes sense. It's just like a movie to explain everything. Okay, so you're saying Doctor Strange is here, wiping you know, bringing the parallel universe together. Are you? Suggesting that X Men would have to make a debut similar to how Spider Man made a debut in Civil War as like a, a secondary character. I think that would be difficult. Spider Man's a single character they brought into yeah. the fold. X Men, you know, at least like the I guess what would be your core X Men would be Cyclops, Wolverine. Yes. Like if you go back to there's at least four or five of these um, from the original team. Wolverine is like the biggest movie one because they don't like Cyclops in the movie. So maybe perhaps you bring Wolverine in. To make a debut similar to Spider-Man, and then the X-Men have their own solo movie, or how? So, like, I think something like that, like an Avengers movie, like one of them, like one of them teams up or something like that, and then they they do a spin-off movie. But they're just they're big enough alone to just do stand. They can just do a reboot or a, or whatever the same cast and just stand alone without any explanation. Like they're they're successful enough already. I could see that they could do a standalone, say it's MCU, and yeah. almost like explicitly not mention the other characters, and then in a second one, bring. I mean, there was a. I wouldn't say a popular, but a, a big comic book event. Uh, twenty thirteen, if I'm not mistaken, yeah. was X Men versus the Avengers. Avengers versus X Men, rather. Yeah. Um, twenty twelve, I think. And yeah, these long uh, Marvel is known for some comic book events that bring all their characters together. Um, you know, big money makers for them. Not always the most critical success, uh, critically mm-hmm. successful. Uh, but I could see, like, quite frankly, I'm a little bit over. The whole like let's have heroes fight heroes thing. It's kind of overdone. Yeah. Like, what's the t- what you, how would you describe to someone who doesn't read comics? What's the typical like mold? Like, how does that trope go when a hero fights a hero? Like, yeah. So the heroes when the hero when two heroes meet for the first time, they have to fight for whatever reason. They fight. Okay, Superman meets Green Lantern. Oh, we oh we've never seen each other. Let's fight. Oh, okay, wait, well, there's some common enemy, and then they become like. They become friends, and then they have to they have to beat to beat the common enemy. That's the that's the usual trope. We saw it in the first Avengers too. Like there was a scene where Iron Man fights Thor in the woods, because yeah. and Loki's like basically sneaking away during this. Like this fight was just because 
for the sake of fighting. Comic book yeah. nerds love to say, oh, this who would win in this fight? This guy or this guy? And then they, they have it realized on the screen is a big deal or in the comic books. I, for one, am excited to see how they bring those in. And not just X-Men alone, but uh, there's something like Fantastic Four. Now, Fantastic Four, considering their last movie, which I would say was not just a, like a box office disaster, but also critically a disaster. Mm-hmm. Um, you would, an unmitigated disaster. You would want to reboot them. But I, I ask you this. Could even the Disney Marvel get those characters right? Or are they a little antiquated? Like a family of four, like white, predominantly white character, all white, except for they tried to mix that up in the last one. Just something about those characters, like they are Marvel's first family, but it, can Marvel get them right? Mm-hmm. Yes, yeah, so I think, I think they like, first of all, it's like the three movies they've made. They've all like said, we're going to have the same villain. <laughs> you know what I mean? It's so like, I, I think the series is just like, it was the first comic book that Marvel ever made. So it's like, it's, it's kind of like always had that place in the Marvel history of just like, Oh, that's the first one we did. It's like, this is our idea. Like Stanley is like, I'm going to, let's make a stretchy guy, a rock man and a fighter guy and an invisible woman. And then they're like, Oh, that's a good idea. And then, but it's the very first comic. So I think like, I don't know, I think there's a lot of nostalgia just in their popularity alone. And maybe they're not really objectively the best char- group of characters. Nostalgia f- for, for whom, though? I mean, the series came out in 61. So, well, exactly. That's what the, mo- that's what the mo- low turnout of the movies are showing. Yeah, yeah. It's, it's tough. Like, I mean, when Marvel acquired Fox, y- you have to be thinking X-Men and Deadpool just because the track record. But we kind of talked about uh, in the intro, or I rather I talked about the storied history of Marvel's relationship with Fantastic Four when they didn't have control of them, specifically canceling the comic. Quick update. Um, actually, since recording that, in between recording that initial intro and the update, they announced on March 29th that, in fact, they are coming back. Shocker. Jonathan Hickman yeah. was right. Disney buys Mar. Oh, sorry, rather, Disney acquires Fox. All of a sudden, look what's back on the shelf. Here we go. So they're trying to build that brand up. Is that enough to make their next Fantastic Four movie a success? Yep. So if Marvel decides to make a Fantastic Four movie, like, first of all, like, any other studio, like, it's, they have to, like, I think for this particular case, they would have to do a Black Panther or Spider-Man route. Spider-Man, they didn't really have to do this, but basically just, like, introduce the character in a team movie of sorts and then do their own thing just to see how the reception is of that, of that character. Just because it has, it didn't really fail the first two times, uh, uh, like, commercially. But the, the last time was an unmitigated disaster. And they, the other two weren't big successes uh, commercially. So objectively, like from Hollywood, in terms of like board members and stuff like that, they're just looking at it as a three-time failure. Three times, stri- like three strikes are out. The, the definition of failure for the first two is, is questionable. But I mean, the first one was good enough to warrant a si- sequel to Exactly, yeah. yeah. But uh, that was in a pre-Iron Man universe. Like the standard yeah. was – I distinctly remember me, you, and our friend Andrew Morris left Fantastic Four 2 – and it was like, spoiler alert for a, whatever, like eleven year old film like um, Galactus, which is one of the yeah. villains. Instead of his traditional presentation, was like a giant cloud. Like it was kind of absurd. But I remember walking out of the movie being like, "That was pretty good." Like it, it's not, you know, it wasn't amazing. <laughs> exactly. I, I don't think I've seen it again since. But like in the moment, I was like, for compared to some of the other comic book movies that were coming out of the time. Even Fantastic Four One, I thought it was a an okay movie, but yeah, I mean, like off tangent, I remember when Green Lantern came out, and it was like just after like the first couple Marvel movies came out, 
and it was like mediocre, but like there were like articles on IGN and like people were like we were discussing this. Other people were like, we should just be happy there is a Green Lantern movie. You could could you imagine ten years ago a Green Lantern movie? So like the standard like <laughs> then was just like they're making these superhero movies. Who cares if they're good? But now the standard is way different. Everyone expects every movie to be really good. Um, so just back on to the point with the Fantastic Four is like Marvel doesn't really have to like they've made like Ant Man and they made Guardians of the Galaxy. Like right now, any like their formula just is like anything they make is working. So they have enough like cachet to just do whatever. But I feel like they would introduce the characters in that way. Maybe as like Doctor Doom as some sort of like overall villain of the Marvel Universe. And I would like to see that character specifically be done in the Marvel Universe, even though I did kind of make fun of the fact that they, they used them in all three other movies. Just quickly, wrapping up Fantastic Four, Marvel's decision to, to cancel the comic book. Was it a scummy move or was it mm-hmm. apt business? So it's, I mean, like in the grand scheme of things, like it, the comic books are just like, they're not the same type of business as the movies. Like they're, they're basically just like, they just do it for the fan service. Like they do make money off, like they obviously make money, but it's not like a big, it, like, the best comic in the, in the world will sell a million copies. And that was like Batman and it's pr- in the peak after the new 52 with a lot of buzz after like the dark Knight rises. But everything else is like in the low, and and these are selling for like three, four bucks an issue. So like the money made off comics isn't that much, but it it just makes sense that if Marvel has their own property, they're not gonna like benefit their own. They're not gonna benefit. They're not gonna advertise for someone that they don't. Or their actual money maker, they're not making any money. Um, and the other thing is like, but the other thing about it is the the comic sales of the Fantastic Four comics weren't that high, so it's justifiable by that as well. The reception was actually pretty good, I believe. It was it was kind of mixed at that time, but it was Jonathan just, Hickman, the writer, yeah. is is credited as like a very talented writer. Yeah. Now the series, I think I mentioned the the cancellation it number issue was in the six hundreds. Like the series was mm-hmm. getting very in the weeds. It wasn't, I think, friendly to newcomers so much. Yeah, um, as compared to because I mean ourselves, we were getting into comics around that time, and I know. Um, at least I didn't read much Fantastic Four, and I, I I don't think it was you know on your pull list per se. Um, whether it was good business, yeah, like there are people involved. Like these people are losing work and such. Um, wh- I mean, what does it tell you that they're bringing they're bringing the comic book back so quickly after acquiring the yeah. brands? It, it tells me it tells me exactly that they, it was a hundred percent intentional to harm the. Well, it, it, to be honest, it can't harm the movie that much. But I think it also is like sends a message to the the very vocal minority of the comic book fans, where they're just like, yeah, I hate this thing. Like, you know what I mean? Like, I feel like the the comic book fans, like the hardcore ones, are very they're they're a minority in the overall sense, but a loud one. But they're loud, and they they do like they do like color people's opinions, like just the general pe- like opinions, like a lot of like general public, like they hear from their fans or like co- their friends who like comic books. Like, oh yeah, go see Spider Man; it's a good movie. Or don't see Spider Man Two; it's a bad movie, or stuff like that. And just like it. I mean, the movie was bad by its merits. So, like, it wasn't like this is like this sunk this great movie that no one saw. But, like, a lot of this, like, a lot of the, it's, it's kind of a scummy move, but it also, it's like, it's not like it's crazy to, like, it's like, it's not like it was crazy to cut the series. It wasn't selling that much. And the movie wasn't good anyway. It's kind of like a sports example. Like, Benjamin Eli Manning, it wasn't insane because he was doing bad and he wasn't playing that well. So, it's a similar sort of thing. You know, I, I feel there's, it's easy to say the only reason they did it was this, but the, it was layered. Um, and like I said, they're bringing it back, and I think they're slowly building that brand. I don't expect a Fantastic Four movie by the end of the decade. 
Yeah. I, d- I don't think so. But maybe 2021. Exactly. So when we're wrapping kind of the point, like one of the, the thesis of this discussion here is the idea of how people not only consume media, but like how it is distributed to them. Mm-hmm. And that includes Disney's push for this streaming service, which it just makes sense, right? Like their catalog is insane now. Like Disney just eats all these properties up. It, it's it's bigger than I think the general public knows. Like I think the you know a film fan or a comic book fan knows that Marvel and Disney are one and the same. But here they are building this catalog, launching their streaming service, and they are taking away their already. The properties that are already on Netflix are going to be leaving it by the end of the year. Netflix is, we talked in the intro, Netflix is losing 4% of its, it lost 4% stock the very following day. And it was because experts said it wasn't just because of what Disney was doing, but Disney was showing a roadmap of what could happen. You actually used to um, work in sales for a cable provider. Yeah. And I'm sure you heard a ton of... Uh, people's complaints about or viewing habits and all that as people cut the cord so to say Mm -hmm. do you see that as just an illusion and in fact people may have cut the cord but they're paying 10 for netflix 10 for hulu 10 for show me 10 for and show me doesn't but you know i'm saying like is that the direction you see us going in yeah i think i think so i mean like I feel like basically like that is the way the TV's going. Like, um, it's also just like, I feel like like these these like programs like Daredevil, the the best thing, the coolest thing about watching it was that like I could see all the episodes back to back. Honestly, I feel like it might struggle to catch people's attention spans if you had to like follow it week to week. Um, so I I think it's actually just I think it's overall a superior kind of way of doing TV. Um, I also find that when I actually watch my TV shows now, I, I'm always recording them on the PVR, and I just I go to the TV the hour after they start. So I can watch, so I can fast over the commercials. So I feel like overall, like, it's kind of weird. It's like we grew up with regular TV programming, but I feel like there's a new generation of kids that just find that really odd and outdated, kind of like, you know, like, uh, what's it called? Landlines. So I feel like in the future, it's going to, like, every, all TV is going to be like this in some form or another. I think there might be TV stations, but they might have the programs drop at a certain hour, like, like the uh, like this like Crave TV like the the show the Showtime shows they they just drop like the hour after the hour they show is in the full in entirety and you can fast forward and stuff like that. So I feel like I just feel like that's the way uh, like everything's going and I think that's how the TV properties are best done, in my opinion. So Disney's coming out with theirs, their own service. They are for whatever reason um, details are sparse, but. The Netflix shows are staying on Netflix. Mm-hmm. It just doesn't seem this doesn't sit right with me. I just don't think this is the last we're going to hear of this. Disney went to all these lengths mm-hmm. to essentially, you know, crap all over the name of Fantastic Four in a way in order to, to acquire them. They are clearly in the business of completing their catalog. They want yeah. all Marvel in and. It's easy to forget how many hours of content are in the Netflix shows. The Netflix the Netflix extended universe has more than the movies. Yeah. Easily, right? Like we're talking, well, there's 13 episodes of each. There's there's right now there's about close to 80 episodes. So there's 13 episodes and they're like almost let's just say they're an hour each. Like that means that those Roughly 80 hours. It's yeah. a, it's a, it's there's there at least four movies. 
Yeah. Like, give, they're probably like three and a bit. And so. you got to remember, there's Iron Fist, the Defenders. Now they have Jessica Jones. One, Do I have two. to remember Iron Fist? Yeah, no, exactly. Now, if... Well, that's the point. I, I, I concluded the intro here. If what they can do that to Fantastic Four, what are they going to do to Iron Fist in order to get this back? Now, we don't know the details. Netflix produced these. Five years from now, where are we going to find the Netflix original Marvel Extended Universe shows? I where- feel like they'll be on the Disney platform. I also feel like doesn't Netflix like occasionally just like do they keep sorry do they always keep all their Netflix originals always in the library? Yes, they yeah, don't keep they, everything. Oh, okay. I think some things cycle out, but those have always been available. Okay, so they've never cut a Netflix original from their library. Okay, so then maybe then maybe they won't actually because if they actually produce it, then they they would definitely want the benefit of it. Maybe there's a maybe they're on both. But the thing I is, I could see that. I could yeah. see them being on both. Oh yeah, for sure. Yeah. But the thing is, it's like. They're not. They're not in the real Marvel universe. I mean, they are, but like, they're, it's, they're not the biggest priorities. So. Do you ever see those characters appearing in a movie? I think the movies have so many characters now. There's no room. Yeah. There's no room for these other characters. I, I feel like I don't know. I mean, first of all, like, I guess like the Marvel fans like wouldn't mind doing their homework, but it's just like I feel like they're just like they don't want to confuse like the ge- the, the general population of like watch this. 13 hour commitment of a show i guess you don't have to watch all 13 episodes to know the story of luke cage but they just don't want to bring like a random character into a movie that like the mainstream has to like do homework they don't want it feels like homework sometimes i i, I started this episode by kind of talking my experience with the defenders the defenders is bad the defenders is not like you you think the avengers pulled this off they had before it two iron man movies a hulk movie where the hulk it's not even the same hulk they had a thor and a captain america Five movies, we're talking roughly 11 or 12 hours, and they brought it together in a three-hour movie, boom. With The Defenders, we had Luke Cage had 13 hours, Daredevil had 26 hours, Jessica Jones had 13 hours. These characters were like very – like we mm-hmm. have seen more of those characters. We spent more time with them than, than like Iron Man practically. Exactly. We spent more time with Daredevil than Iron Man at this point, which is insane to think, yet they couldn't bring it all together in The Defenders. That was uh, awesome. Thank you for joining me and uh, helping us kind of um, debunk some of these uh, theories and ideas about the Marvel Universe. And um, we hope to have you on again soon. Okay. All right. Thanks for having me. Thank you for listening to PodDraw. This was just one of three episodes available now that explores how evolving distribution models have changed the way that we consume media. Show notes can be found at poddrop.buzzsprout.com. Please subscribe on iTunes, Stitcher, Google Play, Podcast Addict, or wherever you get your podcasts, and leave reviews, or engage with the show on Twitter, at Show, or by emailing poddropshow at gmail.com.